Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the back row from what I watch tonight. My name is Matt Hudson, and this is the retrospective series where I talk about a film which is bloody good with somebody else who seems to think that film was bloody good as well. And tonight, I'm very pleased to say, I think this is the first time on this particular show, but I'm joined by by a Welshman with a penchant for leaks, but not those kind of leaks. I'm joined by Bespin Bulletin. How are you, my friend? Good, man. How are you? I am very, very well. Uh, for those who don't know, Bespin's my buddy. We uh, He's been on the sessions a few times to talk Star Wars leaks, and we, we, we get up on the headset on the PlayStation. We play some Warzone along with Ant the Stud from Moving Picture Madness. And um, so we talk a lot off air, and I thought it was high time that he came on to speak about a certain film tonight. But before we get into all that, Bespin, I've just mentioned you like a leak. You mm-hmm. may want to clarify that for our listeners. Yeah, so uh, I'm Bespin Bolton, and a few years ago I started uh, some social media pages that gathered a bunch of Star Wars news from reliable sources and put them in one place, just so fans wouldn't get misled. Uh, that eventually led to me getting sources of my own at uh, Pinewood Studios in England. Um, and I got like a lot of details on some Star Wars movies. Um, and ever since, I've been dropping, as Matt said, little leaks now and again, and built up uh, a little bit of a name in the Star Wars leaking community. Um, you may have seen the name passed around. Uh, probably not. But you might have seen one of our stories. Um, and yeah, like this, that's what I do on the day to day. I also have a podcast called Bob the Podcast, where we just chat about all things pop culture. And yeah, I've known Matt for quite some time now. And we, we've we been talking about this for quite a while. It was more so trying to pick the right film. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we've picked a belter of a film today. God, mate. Also, uh, Bespin's being slightly modest there when he says he's got a few leaks. Bespin managed to basically find out the entirety of Trolls about before the writers even knew about it. And he was recently mentioned in, in things like IGN and things like that as well. So you in any anything you hear from the, the pen or the social media account the best been bulletin, which we will give at the end, you can uh you can take it to the bank, put it like that. Not like some of the other more shady, nefarious Star Wars leakers out there. Best been to real deal. But yeah, we went back and forth about which film to watch and speak about on retrospective tonight. But we have finally settled on one. And look, this film will be up against most films. We'll probably come out on top. And it's 2011's Drive. And before we talk about it in depth, here are, here is the admin as usual. It's directed by uh, Nicholas Winding Road. Nicholas Winding Refn. It stars uh, Ryan Gosling, Kerry Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, Oscar Isaac and Albert Brooks. Made for $15 million and it made $81.4 million back. It didn't win any Oscars but it was nominated for Best Sound Editing and Refn did win the Best Director Award at the Cannes Film Festival that year. And what's it about? In short, a stuntman and a getaway driver falls in love with Irene. It's really specific, but falls in love with Irene, who is married to a criminal. In a bid to protect her from her husband and some gangsters, he decides to cross over to the other side of the law. If you haven't seen this film, we're going to go into massive, massive spoilers. So this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Drive from 2011, this is your spoiler warning. Warning. Also, that synopsis was all I didn't write it, but that was terrible. That did oh, not sell this film whatsoever. But um so let's kick it off with the first question we need to know is this film's been out for ten years, but when did you first see it, mate? I first saw this movie about a year after it released. Um there was this girl in uh, the study room who I was trying to uh 
you know, woo, list for it. And uh, she told me Drive is her favorite movie. So I went home and I put it on and I watched it and I fell in love with it. Um, you watched it for, for love or other other thoughts? Yeah, I watched it just to get to know this girl uh, and see where it could go. Um, but yeah, like we, I watched it and I fell in love with it. Uh, and yeah, the rest of that week was me gushing to this girl about the movie and Gosling. Um, and yeah, like I, I think I watched this movie every single year. Um, I, All she wanted was a date, and she's like, "Stop talking about the damn film, mate." Oh uh, yeah, I fell in love with Gosling instantly. This, I think, this sounds weird, but I think this was the first movie I saw Ryan Gosling in. Um, oh yeah, and what a way to be introduced to this fine specimen of a man, you know? Like, uh, I mean, you know, on the on uh, in the what I watched tonight world, we 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 know Ant, my co-host and NPM, and your friend is the stud, but Ryan Gosling may be his equal. I'm not sure, but he may be. Uh, no, mate, I'll, at least you're honest with your story. I watched a film to try and woo a girl. Sweet. And it and it turned out that 10 years later, nine years later, here you are talking to a 30-something bloke about it. So I think it turned out right in the end. Perfectly. Yeah, this is exactly what I wanted. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what were your initial thoughts? But um, you completely gushed about it. But when you saw it then, and I know you've watched it recently for the show, has you, have, your, have your thoughts changed at all? And I don't mean... Has it? Do you think the film's better? But do you like get a better appreciation for anything, or do things jump out still now? Or is it just I just love this damn film? This movie just it hits me every time I watch it. I like I said I watch it every single year without fail, and yeah, everything hits me. Like the music, I listen to the music so much. One of the first things I did uh, when I got my driver's license and a car was just drive around the streets at two in the morning listening to the soundtrack of this, of this film yeah. it's just it's the it's the perfect soundtrack to drive around to it's beautiful and yeah every time I watch this film I just appreciate everything about it nothing ever gets tiresome for me I adore this film no, well you're right well we're definitely going to talk about that soundtrack uh, throughout this course of this show because I've got thoughts on it as well mate and you know what they are but um, no I watch, well I watched this about seven years ago now and the first time I saw it I remember thinking this is alright I like it but it wasn't until subsequent viewings where I was like this is great and then more and more so I was like this is amazing and then when I watched it the other night in preparation for this I was just like do you know when you're just like glued absolutely glued where everything and then everything falls into place like like I said the music the acting or like the performances sorry the location yeah, the techniques uh, reference uses the camera technique. Just everything just falls into place, man. You're like, Jesus Christ, this is incredible. This is incredible, and that pretty much sets up what retrospective is all about. We just sit here and gush about the film. And if there is anything that we should th- which we thought wasn't quite up to par, we will mention that at the end. If there isn't, no worries. Some people don't have any issues, but let's do it, man. Let's just get into the film. What the uh, top level? What is like that one moment you think of when you think of Drive? The first scene that always comes to mind is when the driver takes Irene and Benicio on a little drive when a real hero starts playing and the sun is blaring it's just a beautiful moment and I get chilled every time I watch that scene I I got that down as a note as Melmax. I couldn't remember what the it's because it's a fa- it's been used in a few films out, but I can't for the life of me remember what the location's called. I've got that as well. But it's just the way that it's that famous like gorge place. The music is wonderful, and you're kind of thinking where are they going with this because he's just driving them down, and it's idyllic enough. And then they find that kind of like hidden paradise, the river. 
like in the background. And it's, it's, there's, there's no no words. As is the beauty of this film, it's it's done in performance and subtlety rather than the actors sitting there telling you what you should be thinking in this moment. It, that is a perfect example because all you need to see is uh, the driver who at first seems quite uptight and quite you know introverted, letting his guard down, you know, um, throwing throwing rocks into the river, having him skip across the river. He's he's loosening up. Yeah, but I don't need him to tell me that. I just I need the performances. I need the location and just the way they look at each other. Look at each other. That's all I need, and it's so well done, isn't it? It's exactly, it is. When you see the driver carrying Benicio, who's sleeping in his arms, and Irene's just watching him walk up the corridor, you can see these two mm-hmm. characters falling in love with each other, and yes. it's a massive contrast to the scenes earlier in the movie with the driver, where he is usually is he's bathed in the nighttime. He's usually alone. It's such a big contrast to that. He's finally finding, well, the song that says it is a real hero, a real human being. You know, he's finding that thing that will make him human. Because this, mm-hmm. yeah. like you said, this guy doesn't really, he doesn't really behave like a normal human being. Um, he's He doesn't say a lot. Um, and honestly, quite a few of his mannerisms are quite childlike. But this is the moment where he he wants to be a better person. Yeah. He wants this life, yeah. and that's amazing. And it's uh, and Carrie Mulligan, I know she's getting a lot of praise for Promising Young Woman, a film which we both thought was incredible. Yeah, I adore it. It's so good. And she, and she is also so good in this as well. She isn't just some, she isn't just some like, damsel in distress kind of cat or just some like uh, woman flouncing about or anything like that. She's, she's her own character. And she, when we find out what she's been through and in her, like since she met, Oscar Isaac's character, standard, what she's been through and what she's had to do by herself, it's it adds more weight to her character because I can see a lot of people watching this film thinking, well, well the driver doesn't say anything, so he's got no development. She does, she's got no development. She just smiles a lot, but it's not it's not like that at all. And I think Refn has managed to direct the hell out of this effort in order to elicit those performances, but make us as the viewer realise that there is more to this than just meets the eye. There's there are layers to these performances and. The the moment actually the, after that when when they're driving and the driver's obviously he's got his hand on the gear stick and it's all very silent it's all very subtle and it's just this beautiful like tension like sexual tension tension as well but when she just slowly puts her hand on his but that's it the camera just lingers on their hands together on the gear stick and and then that's it again there's no words no nothing but it's kind of like it's, silence is what makes this film so perfect and it's those moments where their relationship is built on those moments and it's and it's one of my favorite relationships in film because it just feels so something that something feels really pure about it in those moments pure was my was going to be my word for it it yeah. all just feels so natural it's mine now <laughs> yeah it just feels so natural like from the minute the driver sets eyes on irene you can tell he he's infatuated with this woman um there's one shot in particular where he's in his apartment just staring out the window and you can see Irene and Benicio, her child, in the di- in the distance. It doesn't go do a close up of them. It's as far enough away that you know it's them, and just he's just watching. Yeah, them. Yeah. And yeah, that's just an incredible shot because that's what he's longing for. Um, yep. And we see that throughout the entire film. The rest of the film is basically him trying to protect the woman he's fallen in love with, which is yeah. beautiful. No, and that and again, you could you could overlook that a lot if you don't look further into the film we could just ignore those subtleties especially that one you just mentioned but 
And it's when, I mean, their first meeting, I've got on a note here, I've got this one in a different color to make sure I mentioned it, but imagine shopping at the big six market and seeing that stud strolling down the aisle in that denim shirt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, um, now I know what, now I know what the people of Wales feel like when they see you in the supermarket, but um, imagine that. But they're meeting before that. They walk past each other in the car park and then he sees her in the supermarket or the grocery store, whatever. And it's just like, again, it's the silence of the meeting. Um, and then when it go, it, it, Shannon's workshop, Michael, not Michael, Brian Cranston's workshop, it obviously then it, it expands from there. But it's just one of the best romances in film with so little dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think we've got to credit the score for that because like the music plays a massive part of this movie and a massive part of the relationship of the driver and Irene. Uh, one, of, one of the best examples for me is uh, when Standard returns home from prison, uh, he's having a welcome home party being thrown by, for him by Irene. Uh, you see a room full of people, his family and friends, uh, what's the song? Andy Spell plays. And it pans to her and it cut, cuts to Gosling on his own in an empty apartment. And it's just that's you can hear it blaring through the walls. And it's just that that's all they're thinking about. They're just thinking about one another. Uh, and Gosling exits the room and she's outside. And he and she uh, apologizes for the music. And he says, I should call the cops. And she says, yeah, you should. And I'm like, oh, yes, somebody call the cops. Get standard out of here. Let them be together, please. Yeah, that's it. Oh, wait. I love that scene. Just, again, it's just, it's, she's looking and then it cuts to him looking. It's that kind of, it's almost like a telepathic bloody love. It's, <laughs> yeah. I'm smiling because it's just, it's just so well done. It even, but it's not even like a, a showy trick. No. It's so simple to think about it. But when you get it done right, they're in different apartments and you've got Poe Dameron giving his speech. But and he's and and he's like a, you know I've got I've had Irene waiting for me but she's she's elsewhere man she's thinking about uh, the driver and I mean to be caught between Oscar Isaac and Ryan Gosling ain't a bad thing to be caught between. It isn't man. It's a it's a great place to be caught between. Um, no, exactly. But that the whole the whole sequence is amazing, um, and yeah, like at that point you just internally scream and just be with each other, just be with each other. Um, yeah, man, the, this this film is phenomenal. Uh, you mentioned let's uh, let's just rather than beating around the old foliage, let's let's talk about the score because otherwise we're going to be sitting there saying, "Well, there's, the music's quite good," but we'll talk about. It. Okay, this is getting to it, man, because I know how much well, you've mentioned. You go you go cruising the streets at two a.m. listening to this, and I was um, looking. I was listening to the tunes. I've been um, as I've been saying to yourself, and I've been having it on just nonstop. And I, I looked on YouTube as well. I had to play this on there. And, so, and some of the comments on there, are, I mean, you probably know this, but they're dead dead on. One of them was just like, you cannot listen to this during the day. You have to listen to this in the evening, especially in your car. And I was like, do you know what? When I get the chance, when I have a free evening, I am going to get in the car. I'm going to cruise Essex and I'm just going to I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen to that and just get blown away because there is something euphoric. There's something cathartic about that music. And I don't quite know what it is, but there's something it's something in that in, that music has a soul of some sort but I, I don't know if anyone can explain what's so special about it but I'm going to throw over to you mate to try and explain what is so special about this soundtrack man and score the soundtrack is quite euphoric in some ways uh, a real hero night call under your spell especially being the, the key standouts for me um, and the thing is the movie was 
almost based around the music. Uh, when Wind and Refn met with Goslin, uh, they they didn't hit it off at first. And it was on the drive home where the two of them played cheesy pop music and sang in the car together. And once that trip was done, Refn turned to Goslin and said, this is the movie. It's about a guy driving around the streets of LA listening to pop music. So that is drive. That is, that is what makes the help to make this movie the masterpiece that I consider it to be. And it's, if Revan and Goslin believe that, that comes across on, on the screen. Um, and yeah, like it's just the music. Like I have, I'm, I don't know, I listen to all different types of music, but it's something about the synth pop and the electronic waves that just, I don't know, man, it just captures you. See, it's so hard to quantify exactly what it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's honestly, there's not many films that leave me speechless due to the score, but this is one of them. This is just an instant snap of the fingers and it's, it's got you. Yeah, mate, I, the opening, this is related to the music. I will, the opening scene itself, which we'll mention it, but the music in that's incredible. When Nightcall accompanies the opening credits so damn well, like there was when I I've never I don't think I've, I've very rarely like fist pumped and gone yes at a moment in a score other than maybe John Williams or the uh, the Hobbit's theme in the Lord of the Rings but when it's just a little moment when Ryan Gosling the driver exits his apartment and he turns the light off and it's in time with the beat and the next scene immediately in time with the beat transitions to a shot of the city and him driving and it was so fucking well done that I literally was yes like that is incredible. Just a little, the way that they, the way, because I, I, some, it infuriates me sometimes when directors don't time their scenes or sequences to the beat of the music, if it seems intentional that they should do. They do it so perfectly in this, where the scenes just match the, the music and the scenes complement each other so well. And the fact that they are synced up like that, honestly, mate. And I mean, the opening credits, I mean, they're people, they're iconic almost. The, the kind of baby bright pink, neon pink writing. I got a lot of live and die in LA vibes from that, um, from from the film in itself, the Billy Friedkin film, which we might mention Billy Friedkin later on. But um, just the music, that the font and the aesthetic, the LA at night, the kind of grubbiness of it, the movie star good looks of this mysterious driver, and just everything. Oh, mate. Yeah, it's like a melting melting pot of so many things. It's like right now my my room is bathed in pink neon light uh, after watching it again. And yes, because of the font, I think the font is quite iconic uh, for this movie. And I think what adds to the the big yes moment when Nightcall starts to play is the opening sequence of this film is really tense uh, quality sequence. And you're on a, on a knife edge the entire time. So when the music hits and the credit and the opening titles appear, it is that euphoric moment. It is, yes, he's got away with it. Even though you don't know anything about this guy yet, you're instantly hooked and want to know more about him. And the music hits and you and you you put into this this world. Like it's bright lights. It's it's the dark city. It's it's the pink font. It's the music. All of it encapsulates what this movie is. Yep, and man, yep. it's just huh, I love this film. I again, I've forgotten the intensity of that opening shot, the getaway, yeah. when it just so you got the driver, he's on the phone, and like you've got a five minute window, and he's laying down the lawn, like okay, well this guy, 
this guy, he knows what he's doing. He's in control of the situation. Then the music starts, but there's silence the whole way through. I mean, it barely says anything. And of course, that sets up the tone for the film. The car chase, I thought, was great. I love the way the car chase is done. I love the way it's um, executed as well. Uh, so tightly shot, just to really ramp up the tension even more. And um, and the Clippers, you know, the LA Clippers, I noticed this, and I've heard other people talking about it, but you see the, the Clippers game on his television to start with. Uh, you think, oh, why, why are they zooming into the basketball game? What's that got to do anything? Yeah. And at the end of the getaway, obviously, he, he gets it, and he's got it on in a radio, and he gets to the uh, LA, whatever it's called, in a Clippers Centre, the Convention Centre, and just as the game's finishing, so he can mingle in with the crowd with his little cap on. And oh, just this little detail, and there's so many little details throughout the film, so many little moments which 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 connect or which meet, lead to bigger things, like the whole scorpion analogy, which we find out later on as well. There's so much in this film which just works, and, it, and that's why the synopsis doesn't do it right. A stunt man falls in love with a woman who's married to a criminal. In a bid to protect her from the gangsters, he crosses the other side of the law. That to me sounds a bit schlocky, you know, a, bit, yeah. a bit naff, doesn't it? Uh, that also reminds me of the marketing of this movie, where th- the trailers, I think, painted it out to be like this almost Fast and Furious type of m- action film. And I remember people, uh, they went to see it, and it has like a 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but the cinema score was a C-. minus, And one woman even tried to sue them, because it was it wasn't a Karen. Film. <laughs> it might have been a Karen, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it wasn't uh, the film that was marketed, and yeah, like I said, I I knew nothing about this film going into it, and going back and seeing the trailers, it isn't the movie I want to see, it isn't the movie we've watched, and I can understand why somebody did try and sue them, um, but I'm so glad that it wasn't like a a cheap Fast and Furious knockoff. Instead, it is... You mate. Instead, it's this beautiful little small film which focuses, which is a love story. It's not an action film. It's a love story and a deep dive into this this messed up man's brain. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's so much better than an action movie. And, and you know, I think Gosling, he, he has an eye for good films. Um, I enjoy most of the projects he's been involved with and but Drive will always be supreme. Drive will always be my favourite uh, Gosling project and reference. Yeah, no, reference done some interesting films and Gosling, like you say, he's uh, he's very hands-on with the... Pro- I think he's a producer on this film. We certainly had a lot of sway on it. Um, so he's always, you know, he knows what he wants from his films and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I like an actor who is so into his craft that he wants to have, not full control because I don't think that's healthy, but to have a say in where he wants to the role and the film to go firstly because nobody wants to star on a dud but creatively you want to have he wants to have a legacy and he and he wants to have something to interest him for the months that he's working on it so uh, and he's a fantastic actor as well he really is a fantastic actor and and i know a lot of people say well we in the films like this and first man and that we don't really say he's non-responsive he's not emotion he's not emotive but that's what the role calls for like, he, watch this and then watch the nice guys yeah or watch First Man and two films by the same geezer, but then go and watch La La Land. I mean, uh, there are different roles, and then The Notebook, and then um, uh, Place Beyond the But everything's different. You know, he's got he's got that brooding quality. He's got that movie star quality to him. But he's also and, he, and he's a very good actor. And I start, and now I think now people realise that. But before I think he was kind of cast off a little bit because he happened to be a good looking fella. That he, kind of how Brad Pitt was to start with, like oh he's a good looking guy and. Well, he only stars in these films, and can he actually really act? But 
no, we really can. And the and the driver is a way of showing that because again, that could that could have come off as cardboard and uh, and vanilla. But he imbues it with so much. And there's a few scenes I'm going to mention shortly in a bit, which really really cemented one in particular. Where I was just like, damn, he's nailed that. But I wanted to ask you about the driver himself. Is that we see his arc during a film where we assume that we assume to start with he's just a driver. He does, he's not in it to get his hands dirty. He's a driver in and out. But by the end of the film, obviously, he has become something else. But you know, so the question is: was he was he ticked off by the threat to the boy? So when when uh, Irene's son is threatened with the bullet, is that when he switches, or do you think he's always been like? Has he always had his impulses? Is he just a sociopath, really? But he's just been very good at hiding it. I think. Um, I think it's both. Um, it, it, you know, this 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 thread will take us to the the scorpion analogy. Um, but yeah, I think he he's always been this way. He's always had his instincts. He's always been well. He's not a, a great guy. He's, he's helping people rob certain stores. He's you know he's not afraid to get his hands dirty in the underground world. Um, and yeah, I think he wants to be a different person when he meets Irene and Benicio. Um, even when he takes the job to help Standard, he doesn't want payment. He just wants Irene and Benicio to be left alone. Um, even if that means he's not with them. And obviously by the end of the movie, again, he makes that choice again to help save them and not to be with her. It's just... Yeah, and I th- that's how I think he operates in this movie. I think it's a bit of both. And, you know, uh, there's a moment where he calls Albert Brooks and he says, uh, do you ever hear the story of the scorpion and the frog? And yeah. obviously, I think the most like, one of the most iconic things about this movie is his jacket, the scorpion jacket. And I think that is that is his character. He is the scorpion. He has instincts that he can't control. And... Uh- I'm not going to lie. As soon as I watched this film, I went online to see if I could pick that jacket up and you can get a version, which looks pretty, pretty sweet. 50 quid on Amazon. I, I don't want to wear it. I just want to hang it up because mm. that I could never pull it off. Yeah. And it's so that analogy. Yeah. You're right, mate. That, that leads into bigger things. Yeah. And uh, there's this one moment. It's the, it's the moment people say is too violent. Um, where, no. where he destroys a man's head in an elevator and, been there we've all been there and he pans around and looks at irene and once the elevator doors close uh we get us this shot on the jacket on the scorpion yeah the scorpion has just killed the frog like yeah exactly that's it and yeah you can explain this type of stuff better than me matt so the floor is yours well that well that moment was actually the one i was saying when i was like god damn mm. the, when he when he stamps that guy's head in and then he kind of like he just turns to what the, it's, it's the way he turns to look at irene it's like and a, he's just it's like a scared child that just got caught doing something naughty it's that and it all he just looks he just just looks like he's he's crossed his soul has left his body that moment he is now no longer that guy he's gone his eyes are just completely hollowed out the way his mouth is as well it's just i just absolutely love that because when i was watching yesterday i was like this is terrifying the guy looks like an absolute psychopath in that moment and that is, and that's more than just performing. I'm not saying Ryan Gosling is a guy who's going to cave your skull in, but that that's somebody who can 
who knows what he wants. That's, that's not just anyone phoning a performance in. Do you know what I mean? I was generally in that, that moment itself was shocking. But yeah, with with the, with the analogy, uh, the the scorpion itself is shown a few times during the film, and far from it just being a cool jacket, yeah. it is the resonance. The how much it means to this film is unreal. And, and like they say, the why, when in the analogy, why did the scorpion the scorpion jumps on the frog's back? Take me across the ocean. I won't sting you because if you if I do, we'll both drown. Yeah. Halfway across, halfway across, the scorpion stings the frog. Why? why? Because it is in my nature, yeah. and he's and, that, and that's what, as you've just said, that is the driver. He wears this scorpion emblem on his back because it's in his nature. Yeah. He's in his nature. He might not want to do it, but that's just who he is. And this guy was was unfortunate. Well, good for us, but he was on on the receiving end. And then we saw the real what was bubbling underneath the surface of this once kind of like mysterious guy was actually something a lot more menacing and the um the seat the scene the I, I love i love the moment before when he just sort of like very lightly pushes irene back i was like what a gentleman and then of course the lights dim and they have the kiss mm. did that happen was that all in his mind or was that or did that really happen do you think i think it happened i think that was his goodbye I think it did as well, but then going back to rewatch it a few times, the reason why I think it happened was because when he when he when they turn to fight each other, he literally does turn away from her turn, to yeah. fight to punch him. Yeah, so it's not like he was standing next to him. But I was just interested in your thoughts because when the lights dimmed, and I know it's done for dramatic effect, but I was also thinking, is this like a dream sequence type thing? And then he's going to come to and just beat the living shit out of this guy. Yeah, I think it's sort of. It, it obviously happens, but I think this is how he's picturing it in his mind, where there's nobody else in the elevator but him and Irene. Uh, this looming threat isn't there. So once he's out of that moment, it's back to the action, this, right, she's going to see me for who I am, uh, and she's not going to want to be with me, but I've got to do it to protect her. She's gone from his life for that. When those doors close, it's that symbolic moment that we see a lot in films, but it's so powerful here because of just the way the way she is, the way that in that moment she realizes it too, and she's scared, she's frightened, and he is just gone. And the way the doors close and it closes, it zooms in on that on that scorpion is, is just that, wonderful. There's little like subtle hints at his unraveling on the build up to this. His hair is usually perfect. His collar is always upright on his scorpion jacket. And once he knocks on Irene's door, and he's going to walk her to the elevator, his collar is crooked and his hair is disheveled. This is him descending into... That's a good point. Mayhem. Um, And I don't think that's a mistake. I think that is purposely done by Refn. um, Because he's so particular with this movie. that That is not just something that costume, that wardrobe just didn't fix that is there to show you that this man is unraveling. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it as well. These the spiral is happening, the unraveling is happening. Um and at that and it's that moment and it's all leading up to that moment and kind of uh, you get the glimpses when uh Standers had the shit kicked out of him in the car park and uh Benicio's got the bullet and again he's looking at it and that you can again you can see the cogs turning like he knows what's got to happen now. He knows something's going to have to happen here, and mm. it's not going to go. It's not going to go well. But yeah. it's you could say there are little moments throughout, and even before the elevator, we get the we get the moment where um the, he where Poe I couldn't want to believe Poe on my notes. I've got him down as Poe, so I couldn't remember his name. Standard. He enlists the driver to help him out to basically clear, clear some debts off. He needs to get. He needs to do a 
a, a robbery, clear his debts off to these gangsters, um, which goes south and ends up getting killed. And at that moment as well, you can just see it by Driver's face. He's like, fuck, this, none of this was, was not meant to happen. And even in that moment, when Driver was watching Standard getting shot down, even then I was like, this doesn't look like a man who who's in his element. He, this isn't his environment. He looks scared. He looks shocked that this could happen. Um, and then he goes back into driver mode and then he starts beating Christine Hendricks because he knows that she's messed, she's, she's fucked him over and now they're coming. And we get that moment in the bathroom, don't we, where the shotgun comes through the window, mate. Yeah, it takes, takes basically her head off. And, yep. uh, the driver then has to fight for his life. And I think it's in this moment he realizes this is who he is. Yep, that's it. Spot on. Yeah, once he kills uh, the guy with the shotgun who comes through the bathroom and he's got the blood all over his face and he uses the shotgun to kill the guy coming through the front door, I think that's when he realizes that this is who I am, this is the world that I live in. Um, and that's when he makes the decision to go and see Irene and kiss her goodbye because he cares about her too much to let her live in this world with him. Mm-hmm. And he's seen firsthand what's what's going to happen. And as Albert Brooks later on says, you're going to be you're going to be looking over your shoulder the whole time for the rest of your life. You're in the world now. You're not going to get out. And shout out as well to, I mean, Nemo's dad in this film. Albert Brooks is incredible. Albert Brooks is Albert Brooks is a fabulous actor anyway. But in this film, he's he's so he's so well cast. In this film, his voice, his mannerisms, his physical appearance as, uh, as Bernie, yeah. he's brilliant. He's great, mate. And he feels menacing as well. Yeah, and he also feels like he doesn't want to be this way, especially towards the driver and Shannon. He, especially with Shannon, yeah. He just wants to have his name in a car and reap the rewards. He, that's all he wants to do. And what I love is the story of how Albert Brooks got this role. He shaved his eyebrows and went and met Refin and like pinned up against walls and was threatening towards him on their first meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's just like that's how he that's how determined he was to get this role. Like, look, I am the guy. Like fair play to him, because that took some balls to do that to the director. Um yeah. but yeah, I think like even even it didn't work. <laughs> he, just, yeah, he just he just calls up the studio, yeah, this guy's a fucking nut job. <laughs> like get him out Albert Brooks sentenced to five years in jail for beating director. Yeah, like it's it's mad. It, it's such great casting, and I think obviously Ron Perlman as well cast as Nino. Such a beast, isn't he? He's a beast. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Like Ron Perlman is always menacing as as a villain. He always is, and he could also be over the top, but he isn't. He's just he's just right, and he's a perfect foil for. But because Bernie is a bit more, like you say, he's more remorseful. He's calculating as well. He's a more of a. He seems more there in the head, whereas Nino is like a loose cannon. And we do get that wicked moment in the diner where they're where they're talking together, and you find out that the bad guys, these bad guys, owe people money. They they are other people money themselves. Mm. So they're not these moustache twirling masterminds. They're not the be all and end all. They owe people money, so they're in the stuk as well. And I like that. And in that moment, we get a bit of humanity between the them. And then Albert Brooks goes, "Shut the fuck up, you fucking monkey." And then stabs Cook in the eye with a fork, and then through the neck. So the humanity son goes out the window. But we find out more about them, which we don't always do in films. Certainly ones like this, we're just usually told, "Look, these guys are the bad guys. They want their money, and if I don't get it, bang bang." But we find out a little bit more about their motivation. Even the introduction uh, between the driver and Bernie is fantastic. 
uh, the driver takes off his gloves and says, my hands are a little dirty. And Bernie's like, yeah, so are mine. And they just shake hands and it's like, right, yeah, this is... Uh, this is this is going to be fun. Something's really going to happen because we already know that like Shannon is linked between these guys, and he, you know, he's had a bad run in with Nino before. He broke his pelvis because he owed him. Did he owe him money? Uh, I think he was overcharging uh, them, wasn't he? He was overcharging them. Yeah, he was messing about, and we know he he he's played the driver for fiddle by under under paying him basically for years. It's great, but then he overcharged the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah, and he's taken a bit out of the driver's earnings for all his stunt work on the movies. Um, he's probably taken a massive cut out of the out of the out of the racing they're hoping to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, and even like when it comes to like the car stuff in this movie, like Gosling, to get into the the mind of this role, he fixed up that car himself. Like the yeah, car, his yeah his car that the driver uses. So the film is something Gosling fixed up himself. Um, and even the choices for like very little dialogue between the driver and Irene was something that Goslin, Refin, and Mulligan came up with together. Um, originally, they both had a lot more dialogue in the script. But that's what I love about this collaborative effort is that you get some directors who will say, "No, this is my way," and the screenwriter wrote this. This is how I, this is my vision. And you get others. In this case, in this instance, uh, Refin who has brought his talent on board for a reason because he wants to utilize their talent. These are two types of people. What do you see your characters being like? This is our driver. This is how he is. Would he really be that chatty with uh, Irene who in herself doesn't seem like the most uh, outgoing chatty person anyway, just, just by her purpose because of what she's been through probably. Um, So it makes sense. And I just like the fact that they got them on board and allowed them to shape their characters and look what he's got out of it. And even Brian Cranston, um, at this point, he was already in Breaking Bad and Refn saw him in the first season and was like, yep, I need this guy in this movie. Um, but he wasn't the star that he is now. Like Breaking Bad in its early days wasn't massive. It wasn't until about his third or fourth season it really started to take off. But and he's he, good in most things, Brian Cranston, anyway. He was severely underrated like as an actor until Breaking then, Bad. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, so he took the character of Shannon, and when he noticed that Gosling and Carrie Mulligan, they were chopping down their dialogue, he ad-libbed most of his lines, because he wanted to make Shannon a chattier character, mm. because of the what what Gosling and Mulligan and Refn were doing to the other characters. He wanted to fill that void, and he brought his own personality and his own take to the script, and that works very well, because anytime he's involved, He's just a bit of a bumbling idiot, isn't he? He he is, and he ends up balding up towards the end. Exactly. Again, he's a director. The director has to say the final say in the end, but the fact that he, even when Cranston's like, well, how, why don't I, why don't I make up for that and fill the void by talking a little bit more? He's like, yeah, go for it. Ad lib, do what you want, mate. Yeah. And they're and going with it, and and I'm sure there are some kind of restrictions, but that is what sometimes a film needs. There are other films where you can't get away with that, where you can't just let the talent, however good they are, really, really, really like take control. You have to sometimes step back and be like, this, this is the vision, this is what we're going to do. Mm. But then there's films like this where it just bloody works, mate. It just works. And nobody feels bigger than, that's what I mean, with Nino. Nino could have potentially felt bigger than the film, but he doesn't. He's just right. Um, the driver could have felt you know, undercooked, but he isn't. Same as Irene, they could have felt like, oh, they're a bit wasted, but they don't. Brian Cranston, he's filled in the void, but even then he's not too stupid. He's not too chatty. Like at the end when 
when uh, Bernie like, slices his wrist down, even well, even Bernie's like, I'm sorry, mate, I didn't really want to have to do that. And he looks remorseful he does, about yeah. it. the scene of him in his in his house afterwards. And, that, and there's little things like that, rather than just having him be like, do that, uh, slit his wrist, and then like slice his throat as well, just to show what a badass he is. He's like, they give, they give the bad guys some humanity. Even in the end, Nino, even Nino's like, fuck, I think I just, even he's rather drown myself then. He's scared. He's fearful at the end. He's not going out with like a final monologue or kind of like you you you'll never win, driver, anything like that. No, he's you know, he's he goes out like he's a punk. Ocean. Like he he's, he's a, he knows what's coming. Yeah, and uh, this film feels very personal. That's how I how I look at it, and it, it obviously is when you know Refid he moved all the cast and the editing crew into a house together whilst they were filming this movie. This, yeah, he wanted this to be a personal project and. Uh, one of the funniest stories uh, from from that time was Carrie Mulligan was pulled over and uh, for speeding in LA. And uh, when the officers asked her, like, w- w- you know, why, why was you speeding? She said, "Oh, well, I've had like three Red Bulls or something." It's, it's so stupid, but it's a reference in the passenger seat with her, and it's yeah, it's just this movie feels personal, and I love like, hearing little stories like that from their time together making this movie. Um, because from the moment he first met Goslin up until the movie comes out, it feels personal. And I do wonder, because Hugh Jackman was first yes. cast in the role of the driver, right? Like, what kind of movie would it have been with Wolverine in the in the role, you know? I mean, Hugh, again, Hugh Jackman's been a great actor for a long time. And now I think, I mean, Hugh Jackman's wonderful now. Uh, he always, Hugh Jackman's a beefcake and he's a great actor and in Bad Education last year it's one of my favourite performances of the year um, I think he, look, he would have been great in this role but yeah, same with any actor though it, it becomes a different film yeah. you know what I mean you can put anyone in that role and it, and, and it changes the dynamic somewhat that's why sometimes you get lightning in a bottle and it works sometimes it works and in this instance it worked the, the, the combination of the talent reference direction and his approach like you say this the collaborative approach and the slightly kind of off the wall idea of moving everyone in together. I mean, in these COVID times, that sounds weird to even say that, but that kind of creating that spirit and that camaraderie and that bond, whilst also letting people kind of do what they want. And I wonder how much freedom the, uh, the cinematographers had and the, and the other uh, people on set, if they could kind of chip in a little bit as well uh, as to, to, to give their stamp on it, because by the sounds of it, it sounds like it's a very open set. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and in this case, it really it really does work. And personal is a good a good word because the tra- the trailer made it out like you say to be this big bombastic action film, and it very well could have been that in the wrong hands. They could have made it a they could have made it more like Baby Driver, which I enjoyed a lot. But this could have been like Baby Driver, a good film in its own right, but it, it's not. It's its own little thing, and it's better for that reason. Yeah, and I think early on with the development of this movie, this was supposed to be like a big budget action film before it was handed down to Refin and uh, it was made into a much smaller project. Like this, we could be having a completely different conversation right now about Drive. Yeah, exactly. Like this could have been a failed Fast and Furious clone, you know? Yeah, if it, that's even it would have been worth having a conversation about. And you like you like the Fast and Furious films, but well, again, there's nothing wrong with that. We just, but ain't nothing wrong with that. They're just popcorn munching <laughs> fan films, aren't they? You know? It could have been like that, and in this instance, I'm glad it's not. Hey, look, it could have been the best getaway popcorn munch and flick of all time. Mm. We're never going to know, thankfully, because what we did get was something 
is so much so different and the moments when it does go action it's it's kind of restrained, but it is like we mentioned the elevator scene. That's that's just an explo- That's a release. That's an explosion. Before that, we get the we get uh, Christina Hendricks' head getting blown off, and then uh, Ryan Gosling shoots the other guy, uh, and he shoots him in. He shoots, stabs him in the neck, shoots the other guy. But then we have the scenes where he's taking in what's going on. He's kind of think he's realised right. Well, this is like you mentioned. This is it now. This is this is nothing. No going back from this. And he goes immediately after Cook, who's you know fucked him off to start in the start of the film. He bashes him with a hammer. Was going he's going to hammer a bullet into his head, and instead starts choking him with it. You know the violence is the action and violence is there. I when people say this film hasn't got a lot going for it, it was very slow and pondering. Watching it the other day made me re- remember just you know how visceral at times this film is because when they do go violence or action packed, they go fairly all in. I think, mate. Yeah, and you spoke about the scene with uh, when the driver corners Cook in in the strip club. Like he's in a room full of naked women, but you don't notice that. You are your eyes are focused on the driver with Cook, and he's got the hammer, and you were just waiting for this guy to cave his skull in because he's got to come and he's threatened the lives of the driver himself when they screwed him over the job. He's threatened the life of Benicio, the child of the woman he loves. And the woman he loves. This guy has every right to bash this guy's skull in at this point, And he doesn't. Instead, he tries to call Nino and get rid of all of this. He doesn't want any part of it. He wants Irene, Benicio, and himself away from it. He just wants to live a happy life. And there's one scene in particular that that reminds me of is uh, Irene, Benicio, and the driver are sitting in her apartment. And the driver is watching cartoons with Benicio. Yep. And he says, is, that, is he a bad guy? And it's a shark on the TV. And he said, yeah, he's a shark. He's, of course he's a bad guy. And the driver said, well, there's no good sharks? And Benicio says, no, he's a shark. And the next shot you see the driver, he has like a sad look on his face. Because that's who he is. He's the yeah. shark and he doesn't want to be the shark. That's why I think like the song, a real hero, a real human being, is so powerful in this movie because that's who he wants to be. He wants to be a human being. He doesn't want to be a shark. And he wants to be the hero. He wants to look out for Irene and Benicio. And that's what he does at the end of the movie. Like, he protects them. He makes the deal with with Bernie to leave Irene alone. Like, and it could cost him his life. And he, I think he expects to lose his life. Um, But he doesn't. Like, fortunately, he doesn't. Um, And it's little moments like that. Like, Gosselin... Uh, during interviews for this movie, he said that he tr- he treated this role kind of like a superhero role, whereas putting on the jacket was like putting on his cape. What a cool cape as well, mate. Yeah, and you do feel that with him because once he meets Irene, anytime he puts on the jacket afterwards is is to protect her and her child. Because he's not wearing it for the whole film, but sometimes it's slung over his shoulder as well. So they 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 show that a bit. He's not always wearing it. Yeah, and you know, I think that again, it just all adds back to the music. It all goes back to the music. He wants to be a hero. Gosling treated this as if he was a hero, and then he's wearing a mask at the end of the film, isn't he? Yeah, he wears a mask at the end of the film um, when he goes to take out Nino. Uh, so I think it all adds to it. All, like that's what I mean. It's, it feels like such a personal project between Gosling and Reffin, and it's it's just the perfect. It's 
It's the perfect film of the two of them because, you know, they followed this up with Only God Forgives. And though I enjoyed the movie, it is not on the caliber of this film. Nicholas Winding Refn enjoyed it, didn't they? That's what I was saying about Billy Friedkin. They had that director's conversation, Billy Friedkin, one of my favourite directors. Um, <laughs> Winding Refn's like, you know, he's come down and says, I think, uh, you know, Only God Forgives is a masterpiece. And Friedkin tears him a new one. It's like, can somebody get this? Is there a medic in the house? Because I think this guy's banged his head yeah. thinking that's a masterpiece. And he's, he's I, I, well, I spoke about this with um, Ant, and we, there's nothing wrong with, you know, love, there's nothing wrong with being, uh, proud of your work and want it and putting it up on a pedestal, but let other people tell you it's a masterpiece. That's surely that's how it goes. Let let Billy Freakin sit there and say, okay, the film's only been out for a few years, but it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Refn let the critical acclaim of Drive really go to his head, and the yeah. classic yeah. film became that when he did Only God Forgives, he just thought, yeah, I created another masterpiece. And honestly, I think do anything kind of felt immortal at that point i think yeah. yeah and i think everything he did before drive and after drive it doesn't compare to this movie nothing he has done is as good as this movie gosling on the other hand he always makes good films and obviously la la land is fantastic uh, you know like i adore that movie but when i think of gosling this is the film i think of i think this is his best performance and i love majority of gosling's movies um, but yeah, I think this is they created something special here, yeah, and I think it's magic. Weapon has tried to recreate, but has never managed to. No, I I'm interested to see what he does next because um, before this he did Bronson, which I like that with um, with uh, what's his name? I'm about to say Tom Holland, Tom Hardy. Mm. In if anybody hasn't seen that, uh, check it out. And he did Val, Valhalla Rising, which is which is fine. Uh, then he did this, and it, but they did, they did Neon Demon five years ago, and that was just I I wasn't a fan of that film. A lot of people tell me I'm wrong. I I again, it's stylish, it's beautiful, it's weird, it's bizarre. Didn't work for me. Great lead performance, but this wasn't for me necessarily. But uh, and he and he uh, he was a full whack on it, wrote, directed, and produced it, which he would only ever done on one film before. So I mean, but I, I'm saying that he hadn't, he hadn't done a film for five years. Yeah, he did a TV show instead, didn't he? Um, I think it's called. Yeah. Too old to die young with Miles Teller. Too old young, right? Yeah. So I'd love to see what he does next. I mean, there's a few directors who I who I really have a you know I'm really interested. I do like in recent years, um, Jordan Peele. You know, I liked his films. I'd want to see what he does next. The Geezer, Ariaster. Interested to see what he does next. Kind of event type films. But Nicholas Winding Refn is the odd one because, like you say, there's nothing wrong with Only God Forgives. It's all right. It's good. Neon Demon. I wasn't a fan of, but critically did well. So, but he hasn't done it for five years. Now I want to see what he comes back with next. It's been a long time. I think his and, movie is called Maniac Cop. Um, Maniac. It's set in the streets of LA. Um, it's from the writer who wrote Captain America and the and the Winter Soldier, um, which I know you're not a big fan of the superhero movies. Um, I think you kind of agree with the roller coaster analogy, right? Where it's, yes. it's fun and it's enjoyable, but you don't think about it afterwards. Yeah, once I once I'm off the roller coaster, I'm, I feel a bit giddy, and then I'm done with it. I move on to the next one. But Maniac Cop was an old an old eighties film, I think. Yeah, this is the plot for Maniac Cop. Uh, is there a monster on the loose on the streets of Los Angeles, or is it just a killer cop out to punish the city that destroyed him? Um, yeah, it's very brief, but I'm looking at the little poster they've made, and it's it's again it's bathed in neon and full of color. It's the typical refin trope now, I think, at this point. Um, it's going to be a TV series. It's an HBO series. That's going to be. Is it? 
Yeah, I've just read it. It is a reimagining of that old film, and that film was mental. It's like the 80s, a horror film from the 80s um, with Bruce Campbell in it, which kind of says an awful lot about it. But it's yeah, it's a it's a, a killer a killer cop who should be dead basically. So that should be. I mean, I don't how. I mean, that film was was all right, but that's a really strange for him to take thing for him to take on. I think that's that's completely out of his. Well, for me, well, it's not completely, but it's a it's a step out of his wheelhouse. But then I appreciate when directors do try something different. But it's an HBO series, apparently. Yeah, and it's maybe that's where Refin wants to go now with his with his projects is TV. Because if the last one he did was Too Old to Die Young, and now he's doing Maniac Cop. Maybe that's where he wants to be for a few years is to find his love in TV and maybe he'll come back to film and make something incredible again. Um, because honestly, I think the last few films haven't worked. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's a longer form storytelling. Maybe he feels that his, his particular vision and way of telling a story needs to be seen over eight, 10, 15, 19 episodes, maybe. Maybe, but like Drive is a very short film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only it's based on a book, though, isn't it? It's based on a short book, but they did change quite a few things, and there is a second book uh, called Driven. Um, but I've checked, I've looked into, I haven't read it, but I've since you mentioned it a few weeks ago, I've been looking into it. Well, yeah, it tells you the fate of the driver, um, what happens to him after the events of Drive, and yeah, it's really interesting. I've not read it myself. I've I've read like little notes here and there of it, um, but yeah, I think. Refn's career has taken such a different turn to where I thought it, it would after this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Goslin, he's seemingly going from strength to strength. Um, yeah. Like on his plate, he's got the Wolfman, which he's directly involved with, with uh, Lee one l and the Grey Man, which is his answer to John Wick and uh, the Bourne series with the Russo brothers. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like I'm really interested to see where his career goes. I mean... I would like to see him do a film again because there is some, there is something about his his films which uh, splits people down the middle. Like critically, like I mentioned, the Neon Demon, lots of people really really like that. I was braced for when I watched it that it was going to be this kind of like cult masterpiece, but it wasn't for me. But a lot of people really did like it. Um, so I, I like a director who takes risks within his work. So I do want to see him come back and do something. But um, again. If, he's, if he wants to go into TV, that's where he feels the wheelhouse is. And I've said before on other shows that TV or streaming series and films now, the difference is minimal. Now, like budget, budget is the only real difference, but it depends on what you're working on. Do you know what I mean? Even like a, t- a 10 million budget, 15 million budget per episode in a TV series is unheard, is unheard of. But nowadays it's getting more and more like the norm. Film stars aren't film stars anymore. And TV stars aren't just TV stars. There's much more cross-pollination between the two now. So the quality is obviously risen, and I think reference obviously realised that. And he's like, "Well, I can tell my story over. I can really develop my story into a longer form format here. Plus, I'm not. I don't have to skimp necessarily on the talent or even the budget because his films aren't big budget anyway. To be fair, so it's pretty much working the same budget, but he's just able to stretch it out a bit more. But I would like to see what he does next. Now, Gosling goes from strength to strength. Carrie Mulligan, she, I mean, she's already a Academy Award nominee. Anyway, and it looks like potentially, potentially in 2021, she will be up for Best Actress. If she isn't, then I have no idea what's going on in the Academy's mind. But but uh, could even win it. I mean, she's doing okay in the in the in the run up to the bigger in the award season run up. She's winning some awards, so she's in the race for sure. But 
it, it, looking back, it, it's a great, great cast to put together. Like Oscar Isaac, who would later star with Kerry Mulligan in, in Inside Leland Davis. Uh, Oscar Isaac, Albert Brooks, Kerry Mulligan, uh, Ryan Goslin, Ron Perlman. It's a really, really, really... Uh, Christine Hendricks, Brian Cranston, how could I forget him? It's a quality cast up top, mate. And even looking back now, like while some of the actors were were doing great then, they're doing even better now. Yeah. So looking back, I mean, it's a hell of a cast to assemble. Yeah, and going back to the score a little bit, there is a different version of this movie that came out three years after that. Because I kind of want to get to this because I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, it came out in 2014. There was a BBC One rescore. For some reason, I don't know why this happened, and I I hate that it did because Zane Lowe wasn't it? It was Zane Lowe, who I do like. I like Zane Lowe, but this was oh, it's not the same movie. We talked earlier on how important the soundtrack is to this film, and how yep. how big of a part music plays, uh, not just in the movie, but how this film came together. Um, so why change it, and why allow BBC to take a run at it? I don't know because that rescore was dreadful. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Look, art can be, there's no, there's, there's no restriction on art. Anyone can take something. Look at YouTube nowadays. You can go on YouTube and people chop and change films or they take scenes and add their own music. And hey, sometimes it's a lot of fun. Sometimes it doesn't work. But you, in, nothing is sacred in film or art. But there's got to be a reason to do this. So the fact that Sane Lowe decided to do this, fine, whatever. Okay, maybe don't release it on the BBC and have have it played nationally. But what, yeah, you'd have to kind of ask yourself why. There's always got to be a reason why. And I get that he thought it would probably be an interesting idea. Again, I'm here to say that. Fair dues. If you think that, great. Give it a shot. But fuck, it was awful, wasn't it? It, it changes the film completely. Film. It really does. And that's the problem. When it changes something, it's fine. But it doesn't add anything to it. I mean, like, Bastille. What's going on with Bastille being in that being in, in the moment when Shannon gets killed? In that it's like, yeah, oh, it just doesn't work. I, mean, I like some of the artists. I mean, Banks, I really like Banks. I think she's great. Um, churches are fine, but it just. I mean, the opening isn't quite isn't isn't so bad actually. I think it's Prider. Pr- 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 that's fine. You know, it's a bit of synth. It's fine. It kind of, you know, it's, it's it works well alongside the scene. No, with what we already know it was originally. But then on, it just gets... Again, not all of it is like a car crash in terms of the choices. But when the original just works, when the scenes work so well because of the score, and the score works so well because of the scenes, to take to take one of the other out, it changes the dynamic too much. And it, it yeah, the film lost an awful lot because of that. Yeah. And fair dues for trying something new, but... It just didn't work in this instance for me, anyway, and you. Yeah, and you, the, you know, one of the first questions you asked me on this was, "What's the moment that you think of when you think of this movie?" And it was the, you know, the driver with Irene and Benicio driving, uh, you know, in Los Angeles with the sun blazing on them, with uh, a real hero playing. Uh, the, the version in this rescore is the nineteen seventy five is playing, and mm-hmm. yeah. it's just not the same. Every time I watch the original scene, I get goosebumps and my hair stand up because it's such a such a beautiful scene but when they've replaced it with 1975 it just doesn't have the same impact like this this movie is not the same i was shocked to see that it's on amazon prime you can still watch this thing now this thing should be burned in a dumpster somewhere like nobody should have copies of these best been unhappy oh no it's terrible it's this like i said this is probably my favorite movie of all time or one of and 
that that just butchered it. Like maybe this is how like some you know old school Star Wars fans feel about the special editions because yeah, right. this it was just not a good move. I can't believe the studio approved it. I can't believe Refn approved it. Like what was going on? I mean, I can. But Refn's an artist. He he again. He might come across as a bit pretentious and a bit of a doofus, but at heart, he's an artist. And he probably just thought, it was like, yeah, go on, see what what can you do with it, see see what you can do, what can you make of this, um, and I don't know what you thought about it. I I don't know if you do or not, but I mean, props to the guy for being like, yeah, yeah, go for it. But because again, yeah, art is art. People can do what they want of it, and they're going to do what they want of it. But it doesn't always mean it works. And no, I didn't. I didn't think it worked either. It looks like a majority of people didn't either. But I just want to know what the reasoning was, other than because it wasn't even a contemporary upgrade because those songs in the soundtrack the original aren't old songs and they're, they're of their time you know they're released in and around that time yeah. so it's not like we're getting a, a, a you know uh, the 10 year anniversary of drive uh, a load of new synthwave artists or even as contemporary artists are trying to put their own stamp on it it's like yeah you know, i say like two three years later yeah. it's just like i mean either the film's held in such high esteem that they thought wow this is a masterpiece reference let's let's see what we can do with it or Zane Lowe just was going a bit mental. If they did it now, I still think it was a bit odd. But I, you got that separation and distance of time. But it's a really weird decision, isn't it, mate? It's, it's yeah, it's a terrible decision. Like it's ten years now since Drive, and if they wanted to do it on the tenth anniversary, I would understand it. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't enjoy it because I still think it's bad. But I'd get it. But to do it three years after the film came out was just a really weird choice, and yeah. it just shows just how instrumental no pun intended, the, the score of the movie is. Um, and even the original, before Drive released, there was a version of it that leaked online. Uh, and they had the social network score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like, it's not as bad as the rescore, but it's not the special movie that I love. It's not, it's not Drive to me. You've always got to ask yourself why, and that's a question I ask about a lot of things. Same with same when we're talking about Star Wars speculation, when we're talking about the Mando and that. The question is why a lot of them is why we just character be why they want to do it. Same as this, and again, same with George Luke and the special editions. But you could ask the same of any moment in any film. But the question is why? Why do you rescore it? I mean, and again, I've said it before, and, I, I, and that's where I'm kind of sitting on that. Look, you can do people can do what they want if they want to put their own spin on it, great. Zane Lowe wasn't ever coming out, as far as I'm aware, saying this is the definitive version. No, no. It's just an idea that he had in his head, but it's got to kind of, like, other than like a quirky uh, side project, the question would be why? Because it, it's the two go are so synonymous, the score and the film, are so synonymous with each other. It would, be, it would almost be like taking away the fa- opening fanfare from A New Hope. I know we're referencing Star Wars, sorry if you don't like those films, but it would be like changing that for something else and then releasing it on BBC and seeing what people thought about it, it'd be like, why? It's uh, Again, uh, that's obviously another level, that, that fanfare to that film and drive to score. But to film fans, they know. They know. You know what I mean? They know that this score and that film go so well together. But I don't know. Why? Um, would I, I want to hear a best spin. I want to hear a best spin re- redux of this film. I want to see what, what film songs you'd come up for this. I'll just use the song from uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> yes, mate. Um, well, I don't know what I'd use. Um, I'll have a think about something. That's an interesting for anyone listening out there. Send us what the songs which you would, if you had to, 
and I'm sure somebody will say, "Well, I'll just use the original soundtrack." Yeah, so, yeah, 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 you would, wouldn't you? I hear like contemporary songs which could work think, in a new one. I think maybe you'd go even further back. I think maybe you go like, like I said, uh, I think it was Ario Speedwagon is the is like the artist that played which Goslin and Refn sang along to in their car. Um, so I think maybe go back to the eighties if you're going to rescore it. Uh, get some music from that time because there's a, like you know like I said synth pop is a massive part of this soundtrack um, yeah. and there's a lot of synth pop back back in the 80s so yeah, maybe course, yeah. maybe that's the way to go um, but yeah I, I I don't think this film ever needs to go through that again I have had nightmares of that Zing Low rescore and I kid you not I have dreamt about it and I've all kind of thinking why why you know um, but yeah uh, I want to talk about the final shot of this movie I was going to say, actually, it's funny that because I was going to say we can't not that we're not that we're wrapping up just yet, but yeah. I, we haven't mentioned the with, with the final shot, but even like the final sequence mm. when when Driver goes to meet Bernie, and it's it is like the it's like the standoff at dawn. It's like the old western where like the two the two gunmen are face to face, like the last men standing are face to face, and one's gonna one's gonna fall, but who's it going to be? And yeah, man, as an as an ending to this film, and you said the film's pretty much perfect, but as an ending, like the sequence and the end shot, I mean, I'm guessing it works for you. Yeah, I find the the final shot of the movie so tense, uh, where you're just lingering on Gosling's beautiful face for what feels like forever. Um, he's not blinking, there's no movement. You know, this is after he's just been stabbed by Bernie, and he's taken Bernie out the same way he stabbed him, and he's he's out for the count. Um, and he had a knife ready, uh, driving it. He he had that knife ready to stab him in the neck. Oh yeah, he knew what was coming. Um, from the moment he sat down in that restaurant, he kn- he knew full well this could be the end. This guy is going to try and end my life. Um, and he was willing to take that risk again for what seemingly is the love of his life. Um, but yeah, like that shot is so intense and just your heart races. Like you don't want him. To, you know he he can't survive in a world like this, and he will be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. But you want him to live. You want him to survive. And when you start hearing a real hero play in the background, it gives you that bit of hope. Like, is he alive? Or is this just the song they played? What, as he's, as he's gone, you know? It's like final theme playing out. Yeah. And he, he it's just a blink and he moves his hand. He starts the car and he drives off. Irene goes to his door, knocks on his door. He's not there. He's gone. You watch him drive off into the night. Whilst a real hero plays, she is safe. He's alive. He's leaving Los Angeles behind. End of the movie, and that's the perfect end to this film. In my- there's no end per se, is there? Because he, like you say, Irene knocks on his door, but, but he's not there. Like you know, what? Why is she? What's she knocking for? I mean, what is it she's gone to say? Is it? Is it to reconcile? Is it to like try and escape with him, or is it to tell him like this is it? It's over. Don't come near me. Do you know? What I mean, what was she going to say? Driver, drivers have left the money there. He just, he's not interested in the money. Uh, I like to think that he took a couple of wads, but um, he's an honest kind of geezer. And the music, like a real human, he's a real human being. He's a real hero, and that is what he is. And I guess the, the the acts of violence throughout the film are shown because he's trying to protect somebody he loves. We mentioned is he actually a sociopath? Maybe he is, but he at the beginning of the film, he even says that you've got five minutes. I don't do anything. I drive. That's all I do. I'm not getting involved in your, I'm not getting involved in anything else. I just drive. And then, but when, when it called for it, he got his hands dirty simply 
to, to protect those who loved the child and and the woman that he loved. It wasn't like he was just a nutcase running around slaughtering people. No. So you almost sympathise, or when he is kicking these people's heads in or choking people with a bullet, yes, it's gratuitous and yes, it's like unquestionably bad. But he's doing it, and this is going to sound awful, but I know I'm hoping you know what I mean. But he's doing it for the right reasons. As an audience member, we know why he's doing it, which also makes when the, the moment when he and Irene have that look when she's like, "Oh man, this is too," and he knows he's gone too far as well in the elevator. That makes it even more powerful because he's doing it for her, but in doing that, he's got to do awful things. So when the final songs play, and that you know, I'm a re- he, the real hero, a real hero. Sorry, he he does because we're still rooting for him. He is. He's gone through all of this. He's taken down the mob by himself for love, knowing he's not going to get anything out of it, knowing that he's the one, like Batman, he's got to the one who's got to go into the dark night now and be chased. Not, not anybody else, him. But he did it anyway. And he's ridden off into the sunset. And he is a hero, I think. I think he is too. And like I said earlier on, that's how Gosling approached this movie. Was like He was like a superhero and his little scorpion jacket was escape. Um and I think, yeah, by the end of this film, he is a hero. He's, you know, he saved the woman he loves. He saved Benicio. Um, and yeah, that's that's his story. And I just, I don't, it's just a perfect ending to this movie. I, I like to believe that Irene knocked on his door for love. I, I like to believe that she went there to reconcile with him. Because she has such a look of worry on her face that she wants to see him. She wants to make sure he's okay. And I'm, you know he's been protecting this family throughout the course of this movie. Um, and again, that scene was only to protect when, you know, when he caves the guy's head in, <laughs> like that is, that is to protect not just himself, but to protect Irene because they did say that, you know, they would come for Irene and the, and the kid, um, which is part of the deal that the driver makes with Bernie is you leave, you leave them alone. Um, Any dreams, plans, hopes for your future, you will have to put on hold. Yeah. Like, wow, I can't, I can't do Brooks and I can't do Alfred Brooks, sorry, or Bernie. But when he says that, it's just like, God damn, yeah, that's it. And we, and we see throughout the movie that, like, even without the chance of being with Irene, like, it's obviously the two want each other. Once, once standards out of prison, they still long for one another. Um, but he's willing to help save her life and Benicio's life and even Standard's life. You know, for nothing. He doesn't want any payment. He just wants to make sure they are safe because he, he loves yeah. them. Um, yeah. And I think that's a testament to his character. And yeah, he is a hero. I think, like, again, the music is so important to this movie and that theme encapsulates the driver so well. I want to listen to it now, mate. It's, but it's, it's also um, the actual the actual score itself because, I mean, the soundtrack songs are are great. I mean, they are incredible the the song and they're like you say they're kind of like that the the holy trio uh kavinsky with nightcall under your spell desire and a real hero electric youth college that is they are the the holy trinity of this film but then what cliff martinez did, does with the score though it's so it's, it's, it's just as important as well like just just a scene of of driver just staring accompanied by that music or with the hammer or on the beach. I mean, that shot, the moment on the beach with Nino when he rams his car, the wicked shot of Driver standing on top of the like the, the hill, Sandy Hill, mm. with that mask on. And there's this, this wicked shot of him walking across the sand to, with, to Nino. And, of course, he's got that mask on. He covers his entire face and hair. 
it's just such a brilliantly lit shot where suddenly the shoe's on the other foot now. You've got Nino, who out through the whole film has been this big, badass, intimidating nutter. <laughs> and our driver's kind of been, like you mentioned at times, he's kind of like almost like childlike almost. And he, he, when uh, Hend- Christina Hendricks' character gets her head blown off, like I say, he, he's like a rabbit going the headlights. But in this scene, Nino's on the beach, like cowering, and driver's walking down the middle of the beach like an absolute boss the music going and it's just the way it's lit the way it's the composition of that shot is is great the shoes on the other foot now to the point where nino would rather drown himself than face this badass yeah and obviously this is a film but this feels like some this feels like it's out of another film and obviously he's wearing a mask from the movie he's working on he's got his he's got his little jacket on the music that's playing is so different from the synth pop music that is you know the desire or uh, Kavinsky plays in this movie yep. and it just like I almost feel as if the driver is putting on a performance for this oh. <laughs> because the way the Nino dies it's on a beach it's in the water you've got the lighthouse lights flashing by every now and again it feels like it's he's it feels as if the driver is playing a part in another movie his own movie almost yeah it feels like he's his own film and in this again He's the hero. He's killing the bad guy. So that's how I feel about that scene. But like you said, it's so well shot. And again, the cinematography in this movie is beautiful. So well done. Um, But yeah, Cliff Martinez with the score. Incredible. Even like the opening sequence where we talked about earlier. The the theme is so subtle there. But it's so tense and it keeps you on edge. You listen to going between the ticking of that music. Yes. to To the radio watching the police follow Gosling around, it just all adds to it. Everything with the score, the soundtrack is perfectly crafted to this movie. It's unreal how, how well it all fits. Yeah. You can make a car chase exciting, but it's something else to make a car chase uh, tense. Yeah. You've got, and they got it because, um, Again, you've got uh, like bullet with Steve McQueen, great car chases, the French connection, the best car chase in the cinema. Uh, great, all done in the daylight as well. Brilliantly done, guerrilla style. But you've got to make it tense. You've got to make you, the way they shoot shot, the way they shot the French Connection one well, again was very similar, very tight um, camera work. And here is extremely tight on on Gosling the whole time. Like you, like you feel like you're sitting next to him, like staring up at him. Uh, and the way they use, like you say, the radio, the the helicopter, the police radio as well. Everything just works so well. And it is a and it is a hard thing to do because there are other films that have got great car chases in, but they feel they feel hollow. They just don't. They feel a bit empty. They do feel like smash bang wallop and speed, and not you're not really invested in the characters or the stakes aren't really there. But to start the film off like this, mate, it's it's a it's a wicked way to start. The way the score pumped in, this is setting the tone. The like you mentioned, the cinematography of the opening scene sets the tone. We get to find out what the what drive is all about. And what his line of work is, and even then, straight away after that, they show him as a stunt driver. They don't need much exposition. We just find out he's a stunt driver, but and that's it. So we need to know. But I like some of the names of this score. Um, like rubber head. They broke his pelvis. Kick your teeth. Hammer. Skull crushing. Uh, so Cliff Martinez is quite literal with his names, and I forgot about that scene as well when that geezer in the bar comes up to driver and he's like, "Hey, long time no see. I've got a job yeah, for you." Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Why don't you just turn around before I kick your teeth down your throat? And again, you, you've, uh, the way I said that was probably the least menacing anyone's ever said it. 
you've got to sell those scenes. You've got to sound intimidating, especially because we hadn't really seen Driver lash out before. Yeah, and he's lashing out there because this is following the scene where Irene tells him Stan is getting released. And even in that shot, even in that shot where she tells him that, you see they're parked at a red light and you see the red light over his face mm-hmm, after yep. she's told him. He's he's so angry in the scene, but you don't see it because he's keeping it inside. Mm-hmm, yep. But he lets that out on this guy who he did a job for before. Yep, you know, I'll kick your fucking teeth out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, again, it all goes down to Gosling's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't say, say much in this movie, but when he does, like it always leaves an impact. Yeah, he's great at that kind of emotive performance, and again, a lot of and I know again on, to to credit the other people, a lot of people who say, well, they don't like that, they 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 find it bland, they find it boring, they don't like his emotionless acting, but it isn't. That's what I say. Back in even First Man, I have issues with that film. I am going to rewatch it though. I thought he was great in that because you don't always need to be uh, certain performances don't need to be. Big and bombastic. I mean, Driver could have been. He could have said more in this film, but would it have made it better? No. I don't know. Probably. Well, no, it wouldn't. I don't think so. Even if, if the dialogue had been great, great. That would have been a bonus. But it works because like those little moments work because we're introduced to Driver. We don't know much about him. And then when he finally does kind of snap to this guy, we're like, bloody hell. Where'd that come from? Yeah. And it's, I think like he's just he's just a weird guy in general, the driver. Um, yeah. In one of the first scenes with Irene, she says, would you like a glass of water? And he doesn't say yes, please, or no, thank you. He says, okay. Like, who okay. says that? Like, you don't. That's what I mean. He's he's quite childlike in some of his his ways. Like, even like, they just sit by a window cell and just keep smiling at each other. Like, he doesn't know what to say. Like, he's a giddy little schoolboy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's, you don't get that from somebody who's not a quality actor. Like rain or words as well. You don't get that from words. And how many how many romances, film romances, have been stilted from a lack of chemistry or from poor dialogue? When sometimes all you need is is a word. Hey, look, here's Star Wars again. The prequels dialogue crap. The best moment between Anakin and Padme was that um, the wordless scene when they're both looking from the Jedi Temple and Padme's in her in her uh, in her pad and they're looking across the sky and it's like. Yeah, that's that's it. That's it. The wordless, like silent emotion performances, wonderful. Whereas here, the whole and I don't mean to compare the two. Don't at me. But here, the film is it works because of that. You don't need words. Like I said up top, you don't need words to see what these two feel like. You don't need words to see that driver wants normality, and he knows Irene could be the key to this. Yeah. And then when when um, Standard comes in and changes the dynamic somewhat, he changes as well, and he realizes that. Ah, okay, maybe those beautiful moments we had at the beginning may not be what I'm going to get. It's just great. It's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you put anyone else in a role, and it could be good. But sometimes, for me, and again, hindsight is wonderful. But for me, everything in this film came together to create something really good. And you mentioned Driven, and reference said I ain't making a sequel to this. No. Gosling famously doesn't do sequels, but can you imagine a world where we get a sequel to this film? No, absolutely not. And I don't want one. And I think fans of this movie don't want one. As we said, the ending to this movie is it's the perfect ending. You, Anything else will ruin this. This is a perfect piece of cinema on its own. It doesn't need to be a franchise. It doesn't need a follow-up. You can read the book if you want to know more about you know the character of the driver. 
but don't touch it. Leave this alone. This is, in my opinion, a modern masterpiece. There you go. I mean, even though, like you say, the book uh, in itself, the book, the the film has changed certain aspects of um, of the book by it's James Salas's novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, if you do go read Direct Driven, kind of keep in mind that even that's not even intended as a follow up to this film. It's it's intended to follow up to the book, which this film is based on, but changed a lot of um, a lot of the aspects of it. Hossein Amini wrote this film, who was down to do the Kenobi series, but has since gone. Um, which is interesting, but yeah, the, the, there is a there is a sequel out there of the book. But I guess if you really want to tie it into your head canon, you can do. But yeah, I can't see a world where you get you, you need a sequel to drive. What's it going to drive faster? We're going to call it something like that. It would probably um, be called Driven. I'd assume. You just it just doesn't need like seven years later. I think the book is, but yeah, it is. You just don't need it because it's not. You are trying to catch lightning in a bottle because you'd need Gosling to go back into the headspace he was in 2011 to tap in the role. You'd need to find, uh, obviously, I'm not going to give any spoilers for the book, but you'd need to find characters and actors who could could fit their roles so perfectly as well as they did in this film. And you'd have to, and again, it's the why. Why? I mean, also 10 years has passed. I know that didn't stop things like The Incredibles and that, but. Why would you need a sequel? Thankfully, there are no, as far as I'm aware, certainly not for years. There's, you know, talk has been shelved of any kind of sequel, but it comes down to the big word of why. You know, if if you had to think of a reason why, what could you even think of one? Why there'd have to be one? Yeah, what, uh, if, if, if there was going to be a sequel, if someone said to you, "We're making it," could you think of anything to justify it? If this, if the film was rebooted, that's the only way yeah. I can see it happening. Is if down the line somebody decides to reboot drive and make it a franchise that's the only way i can see you get more than this singular drive movie that is something i don't want to happen like i said they've caught lightning in a bottle with this movie um and with the drive towards franchises in this day and age uh i would hate to see what that what becomes of drive you know in that world yeah exactly um don't touch it please if anybody from any studio is listening, just please don't ever touch it. Yeah, please just don't. If, if Ryan Gosling, if you're listening, I love you, man. But don't touch it. Don't come back to this. Um, right, well, that's the film. Is there anything that you didn't like? Or that's, that's the wrong way to put it. Is there anything which you thought, well, that wasn't as good as the rest? It wasn't quite up to the standard? Um, Honestly, no. Say- like, I know it's a very boring answer, the, you know, the same note. Like, but like again, I do consider this probably my favorite movie of all time um if not one of and yeah like i loved everything about this movie even after watching it like every year for the past like eight years or nine years yeah like no this movie is still perfect to me um this for me is a masterpiece this is something i will always put on It's, it's something i try and show people all the time um just so they can appreciate it and yeah no um standard maybe uh, i didn't th- think his character was as good or as fleshed out as the rest of them but again he's only there to be a foil in the relationship between irene and the driver so yeah i don't know he's he's just a he just adds to the plot doesn't he uh yeah but no i think i i've got no real complaints about this movie i know it's a boring answer matt but i haven't got one <laughs> Now you'd be surprised how many people say that, but that's part of the reason of retrospectives. But sometimes you get somebody say, "Well, yeah, this wasn't great," but most of the time it's not. And no, I'm I'm with you, mate. This is a film of like could have been's. 
like I mentioned, Ron Pullman could have been too big, but he wasn't because we got those humanizing scenes in the diner and and at the end, obviously, when he finally gets drowned, he, he isn't going out like a like a uh, like, I said, like a monologue spitting villain. He's going out like a punk. Um, yeah, that's really about it. Like Albert Brooks could have been. You know, he could have missed it, but he didn't. He doesn't do that, does he? He's Nemo's dad. <laughs> Ryan Gosling could have been, he could have undersold the role, but he didn't. And I know these are very kind of like, well, what's the point of mentioning them? But it's the fine lines, though, for me. It's the fine lines where I see people saying that they, they don't connect because they can't connect with the driver. I can, and I, I can see that on first view and fine, I get that. But um, they, they, there's so much going on within this film that it could have, it's like a deck of cards that if, it, if one component doesn't work, it's nowhere near as effective, but thankfully, nothing fell down, and it is it is a fantastically written, fantastically acted, produced, made film, and I can't really think of anything wrong with it whatsoever, uh, other than I don't know nothing other than I can't find the original jacket online. I have to pay fifty pound for a knockoff. Um, that's it, and honestly, that, and it's true. Anyone out there, if, if you if you do like this film and you've got flaws, let us know because it might be like, oh yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Yeah. Um, what about the scene where uh, he puts the at the end when he puts the stuntman's head on and then goes to look through the window of the pizzeria? I love that. I love the music in that scene. I've got nothing against it, but I, I can see that people being like, ah, what's all that about? Yeah. Again, I think we talked about the mask, and I think that is him assuming a role. He is, a, you know, when he goes to kill Nino, he's he's playing a different guy. He's not he's not the driver at this point. He is he's somebody else. Um, and yeah, I think he's just a guy who stars in the movies and has probably watched too many movies. And he's taking this as a as a like it's not him doing this horrific act. It's the role he's playing. Yep, fair enough, mate. I've got nothing against it. Well, when I watched, when I did watch it the other day, I was like, I don't remember this scene where he just looks in as like gawps through the window. But that that makes sense. I mean, I, I I kind of assumed he was just scoping out, firstly making sure that Nino was there, but also just scoping out, you know, any any like not quite the competition, but what's he up against? And then really, of course, he wants he wants Nino. He knows Nino's getting on it. You know, Nino's knocking back a few bevies. He's not. He's not in prime condition. Yeah, he's had he knows that. He's walked up to the pizzeria and seen it with his own eyes. Yeah, Nino's had a good night. It's the perfect time to take him out. And yeah, like to wear the mask and not get noticed because Nino does know who the driver is. Um, yes, you know it's ample opportunity. But even like I said, like even when he does kill Nino, he doesn't take off the mask. Like at this point as well, Nino has never seen the scorpion jacket. He's only ever seen the driver in a t-shirt working in the garage. Um, so he doesn't know it's the driver under that mask. He can assume, but he doesn't know. The driver doesn't want him to see his face either. He wants him to see this, the bald Vin Diesel man, like ending this guy's life. He is like the action hero from the, from the movies he stars in. Yeah. That's fair enough, mate. That's, there you go. That there is the reason I wanted to hear. And he's, he is a real hero. He's a real human being as well. Being, being, he's proven that, as well so um i'm going to put on the soundtrack as soon as i press stop on this recording because it's been going on in my head the whole time honestly it's just what i mean it is it's such a cool movie as well the film is so fucking cool it's just dripping with style and they're not even just like oh these people look good and their clothes look great i say just a visual style the music the font the colors 
the way that they even the way the referee I say captures everything in that in his like stand like his signature wide shots and then when he and then the car chase is so stylistically done with the oh mate it's just a one of the coolest films I've ever seen. It's one of the coolest films. It has one of the best soundtracks and scores of all time, in my opinion. It's just yeah, like you said, it's oozing with style. I think the font and the aesthetic of this movie has inspired so much following. It's, got, it's obviously has a cult following. It's a cult classic. Um, and it's crazy to think this movie's ten years old. Like, it's just, but it stands the test of time, and I think it will forever stand the stand the test of time because, like you said earlier on. Everything happened with Gosling, with Refn, with the entire cast. It was lightning in a bottle. This movie can't be replicated. In my opinion, it's a perfect movie, and I encourage everybody to go and watch it. If they haven't, if you listen to this, you probably have. You probably like enjoy Drive, but go and put it on again anyway, just because it's, it's perfect. It's an amazing film. Oh, there you go. You've heard it here from Bespin bulletin himself and if, if anybody else has any more authority than him well I want to hear it but there isn't anyone out there so that is our drive episode I hope you enjoyed what you've just heard and again like I say if you want to get in contact and to say that listen guys you were spot on absolutely want to hear that if if you didn't agree with some of our points or you thought we were talking rubbish we'd love to hear that as well keep it polite we're all film fans here but um, best bid firstly mate thank you so much for coming on finally and getting this done yeah, it was a long time coming, and I'm so glad it was Drive that we chose to do this for. Yeah, and I, to be fair, we we could have gone on for a long time, I think, as well, to be fair. We probably could have pushed it out for another couple of hours and gone into the, the nitty-gritty of it. But, the thing um, is, we could have gone on for another two hours just talking about how much we love Goslin and how beautiful he is, you know? God, he's, he's just a stud of a man. Like every Even like the the notebook, he's like, that's where, obviously, he's, he's like swoon-worthy in the notebook as he's in a lake with the swans and that. Like, yeah, in the rain, like, yeah, he's a, he's a hunk. Oh, uh, You've got James Martin in that film, but no, gosh, and he's the one I'm looking at. Crazy um, stupid love when he takes his shirt off. Oh. God, my God. I mean, I've got that on my wall. I mean, I mean I'd mean, i like to, yeah. Um, did that, there's that. I mean, even when he's like, even when he's a bit like, and a bit more roughed up in some of his films, he looks great. And the nice guys, when he's like a bumbling idiot, Obviously, La La Land in that um, in that polyester suit, it's wool. You've heard the song, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if, if he's going to be the wolf man, I mean, God, he's going to be the sexiest wolf I've ever seen. But, um, <laughs> but he backs it up, though, mate. Very, and I mentioned Brad Pitt. A lot of Brad Pitt's always, the pretty boy tags always followed Brad Pitt around. Brad Pitt's a phenomenally good actor. Incredible. He's a very good actor. And sometimes you can kind of, certain. I mean, Brad Pitt's never been a rom-com dude, really, but... Uh, Matthew McConaughey's another one. He starred in some rom-coms. Uh, people, and even now, he's, certain people still think of him as a rom-com guy. He's an award-winning fucking actor, and he's quality. I hope uh, Oslin right gets the Oscar one day. Time. Well, he's been nominated enough times, isn't he? So he's he picks the... Um, probably not the Wolfman, but you never know. But he picks the right roles where he puts himself in contention. I mean, I, th- I mean, he could have won... For, I can see why he didn't win for La La Land, and but, you know... He, that film swept the board. So had he won that, I wouldn't have been surprised just because of how popular that film was. But I can't argue with the winner that year. Diana Stone, she was great in that film. Yeah. Um, should have won Best Picture, but that's another story. Last... But no, I think I think he will get one. Yeah, the next few films he has coming up out of... I don't think he'll get it for The Wolfman. I don't think he'll get it for The Grey Man either. Um, but maybe Project Hail Mary, mm-hmm. which is yeah. going to be directed by uh, Lord and Miller. Um and it seems like they, they're really banking on that project. I think that could be the next one to keep an eye on. And again, he's playing an astronaut in that movie. 
Um, and obviously we've seen him recently in First Man. Um, so maybe this is his second chance at going for that Oscar. Because I'm telling you, that, that First Man movie was his attempt at going for an Oscar, in my opinion. And it just didn't work. Yeah, well, that film was... when it Before it came out... You know the the Claire Foy, Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Damien Chazelle, everybody involved is a biopic of Neil Armstrong, Americana, and the Oscars love films about the states and that it's everything was set up for uh, them sweeping the board, and it just didn't. And I need to rewatch that film because we spoke about it the other day. I thought it, it, it when I, when I remember when it came out, reception was fairly lukewarm. But looking back now, it's fairly decent on the old tomato meter. But I said on Twitter the other day. Justin Hurwitz score, which I, I like yeah. pretty much all of his songs, they didn't even get nominated. That damn thing should have won. I've been listening to that as well as the Drive soundtrack on repeat because it's just wonderful. It didn't even get really nominated. But yeah, the, not, the first man was, you know, it, it was a go, it was a grab at some Oscar love. And he'll mm. get there because he picks the right roles and he's got the talent to back it up. Yeah, he does. He absolutely deserves it. Absolutely. Look at Gary Gary Oldman as well, like a chameleon of an actor. How long did it take for Gary Oldman? And again, a lot of people say that uh, The Darkest Hour shouldn't have been the one that won him the Oscar, but it took him so very long to win an Oscar when people were saying he should, you know, he should have had one years ago. Maybe he should have done. Same as Amy Adams. People are still banging the drum for Amy Adams to win, obviously. But with Amy Adams and with Ryan Gosling, you've got to be in the right role. You've got to, you've got to be, in, you can't just be given the Oscar because oh, you've done well before. They've got to put themselves in the contention. Yeah, but it's and it's the actors who you you compared him to Brad Pitt, and to my recollection, Brad Pitt's only won one Oscar, right? Yes, yeah. And that was for once upon a time in Hollywood for for sporting actor. Um, yeah, and that like that felt like a long time coming for Brad Pitt. Um, but he earned it in that role for me as well. He wasn't. It didn't feel like a well. Let's just give it to Brad Pitt because it will shut people up and he's been around for a long time, like the kind of lap of honour. He was great in that film. Yeah, and it was the same thing with DiCaprio, right? Like, I th- I feel like DiCaprio, he should have had it before The the Revenant. Um, I probably would have given it to him for The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, exactly. There's so many other films I would have given it other than The Revenant, but that's not to say that he didn't deserve it for The Revenant. Yeah, and who's to say that, you know, with this Project Hail Mary film, that that is Gosling's Oscar winner. Maybe. Yeah, and like it's got the talent behind it, just as like First Man did. Um, and yeah, I think we all thought First Man was going to be this big Oscar contender at the time. Um, fair away, isn't it? Um, but the thing about Gosling is, I think somebody like Ryan Gosling for me needs that Oscar for, for for legitimacy because I still Ryan Gosling to me is one of the best working actors, my favorite working actor at the minute. He's mine as well, but. I feel like he needs that Oscar in his mantle for the world to know that. And I know that sounds proper like film snobby and pretentious. Like we're in this innocent, we're the only ones who know. No, I don't mean that at all. But Ryan got, again, a lot of people, well, I think Ryan Gosling, a lot of people still think the notebook because I've seen it online. I've seen it on 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 Twitter and on Instagram. And, or, uh, or they see him as um, like um, uh, Crazy Stupid Love yeah. and things like that. It's like, this, there's like, I think he kind of needs that for the legitimacy in the wider circles. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm really misreading this. But to me, people say the same about Tom Hardy, that yeah. you know, he, he'll get his Oscar one day. But Tom Hardy is universally seen as a great actor. Because he is, even though he puts on silly voices and masks. Ryan Gosling is a great actor. But I feel like he needs to, to be really 
recognised he needs an Oscar, which is sad to have to say. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, I, and Coslin as well, he isn't this big movie star. He isn't, he doesn't sell movies, does he? He's, you know, he, like Tom Hardy can sell like Venom. Like he's going to get like hundreds of millions from that movie and whatever. And Goslin doesn't do that. Um, I think the age of the movie stars kind of disappeared now. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that Gosling getting an Oscar will show people what he's made of. It'll put more respect on his name. And yeah, like you said, like people still think of The Notebook and Crazy Stupid Love. Um, and yeah, like that's the ones I always hear all the time from people who aren't big film fans. They don't think of Drive. Yeah, they don't think of Drive. They don't think of The Place Beyond the Pines any of it they just say oh he's he's the fellow from the notebook oh he's from crazy stupid love oh he's in la la land like they don't know how diverse of an actor he is just how talented this man is mm-hmm. and like no you no, you're right mate and I, I'm, I'm i'm sitting here agreeing with you but i'm also i also want to shout again to carrie mulligan because i feel like i don't feel like she's been given short shrift in this film but with the praise she's getting now and again she's an academy award winning act, uh, nominated actress anyway but I mean, look look where how her career has gone gone up as well, and to and to potentially winning best actress at, with promising young woman. She she is also an extremely diverse actress who flies under the radar a bit, and there's been a bit of controversy this week about um, casting, which I think is absolute bollocks. But again, let's let's not forget she's a she's London born actress. She's flying the flag for Britain, so I'm supporting Carrie for the actress this year, and she was actually fucking brilliant in that film yeah man like you know i know nothing about promising young woman going into it and i was texting you about like you know uh what your thoughts were and once i watched it i was blown away um carrie mulligan in that film was incredible that film in general is incredible and i yeah she's got my full support for best actress this year um if she's got some stiff competition i don't know if she get it but i'm really really hoping she does um if that film wins for nothing else other than best actress i'll be happy um, yep. obviously it deserves a lot more but there's a lot of competition this year as well like and I can see it not getting like best picture um, but she deserves all the recognition she's getting no absolutely and again her her career has gone a similar way kind of to Gosling where obviously since Drive she was she was in the great Gatsby inside uh, Lerland Davis which is a great film um, but then she's done things like Suffragette and Mudbound Mudbound is excellent uh, wildlife, which is another drama film and promising young woman. So he's kind of done these more dramatic roles as well, but on the, the, like I say, less movie star, she's not a movie star. She's a, she's an actress and she's a bloody good one. And she picks her roles carefully as well. to the point where, to where promising young woman almost felt like it was stepping out of that a bit and look what she can do. So C- Carrie Mulligan has shown that she can step into different roles as well. And is getting recognition as well. So the two leads in this film are, ha- are either getting a recognition or have been getting it over a, uh, an elongated amount of time now. And if Carrie Mulligan wins this year, which I certainly hope she does, there's one check. Hopefully Ryan can get his in the future. And then we can go back and look at Drive and be like, look at these Academy Award winning leads in this film. Yeah, exactly. And right now I'm looking at Drive. I'm looking at the the picture of Drive that's in it's on my background on uh, my TV and it's a picture of him and I've got the pink lights bathed around him and I'm just like, yes, that is my man. This man needs to win a goddamn Oscar already. Give it to it'll him. Be well, it'll be well deserved because he, the dude can act as well. So hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, our boy Ryan gets it at some point. Uh, if, if, if they gave out Oscars for being hunky, 
him and Ant oh. would be tied. But he'd oh. be up there. Yeah, he would have. He would have won this years ago. He would. He'd been sorted. Um, he would have won it before the notebook came when he when he was doing Disney stuff, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Mickey Mouse Club. Um, <laughs> but I think so. There you go. We've got a bit of Oscar talk out of us as well. But um, best film. Was there anything else you wanted to say about Drive then before we uh, before we wrap things up? Just if you haven't seen it already, please go and give it a watch. Um, at the moment, it's streaming on Prime Video, so you've got no excuse not to go and see it. Um, and yeah, uh, I'd love to hear if you have any disagreements with me and Matt, because like we basically think it's a perfect film, and yeah, I would just love to get another opinion on it. Um, but yeah, that's that's it from me today. Um, please go and watch Drive if you haven't, or even go and listen to the soundtrack if it's been a while. Um, just everything around this film is stupendous and yeah i implore you all to go and watch it if you haven't seen it sorry for spoiling it but that's what happens in drive but yep i agree uh best being said hit him up where can where can the internet find you mate if they want to talk to you about drive or anything so you can find me on the socials at best and bullet and you can also find me on twitch under the same name and uh yeah we also have a podcast bob the podcast which is dot dot um which is the thing people forget but you can just simply search bestman bulletin on podcast services and you can find us yeah go check it out highly entertaining with some hunky hunky uh co-hosts as well and yeah go check it out star wars leaks which are very valid the track record is fantastic and a film fan in general as well so go check it out and everything you've just heard if you want to debate, do it nicely because he's a nice man, as you just heard. If you want to find me, you know where you can find me, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Follow What I Watch Tonight across all the socials and letterbox as well. If you do like what you've just heard, please consider leaving the back row a good review on your podcast provider of choice. Five stars, of course, no less. And if you don't like what you've just heard, then no, just don't tell anyone. It's not worth your time. Um, but best being, once again, thank you mate, for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's been a long time coming. And I'm right. And everybody listening, thank you for listening. And until next time from me, see ya. <laughs>